Good morning and welcome to the services of Grace Church at Franklin here in Franklin, Tennessee. We want to welcome all of you who are worshiping with us either here or by the internet. We are on YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. Hope you will pray for us and when you're in the Nashville, Tennessee area that you'll come and visit with us. The scripture says in Psalm 134, Bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. So let's uh, lift up our hearts and our hands and our heads and praise the Lord this morning. stand up with me and let's begin our worship hey everybody in the back back there y'all come on in we're gonna worship <laughs> we got some stragglers <laughs> victory in jesus good morning to everybody number 496 in the hymnal if you want to use it let's clap your hands if you can this morning you have to help us out Victor. 
your hands for that. Praise the Lord. It's amazing how John is home this morning. It's amazing the difference a, a band makes with a set of drums, isn't it? <laughs> but thank these guys so much for being here. I think y'all can be seated, and I believe we have some announcements. Who's doing announcements this morning? Oh, Dr. Foster. Actually, I've, I was volunteered. Good morning, everybody. Oh, yes. I'd like to first of all welcome all, any first-time visitors that we might have. And if you'd be so kind, there is a book on the podium in the foyer. We'd like for you to sign that, please. It's just a record of your being here. Joe and Beth are traveling today, and Todd and Pam are also vacationing for, your, for a few days. So we want to pray for their safety and their traveling. John, Angela, and Preston have a few days left on quarantine after they all tested positive for COVID. They've had very mild symptoms, though. Thank the Lord for that. Carl Perry. We need to continue to pray for Carl Perry. He's been wrestling with the tracheal infection now for some time, and also his sister and his daughter-in-law, Barbara, has a foot infection, so remember Barbara, too. And, of course, continue to remember our brother and sister, Wallace and Mary Haddon. They covet your prayers. Pray for Ty Bollinger as he recovers from re recent uh, retinal detachment surgery. That's a serious business, retinal detachment. If that doesn't go well, you go blind. We thank the Lord that, as far as we know, as of right now, his surgery went very well. So we pray for his continued improvement. Marie Dalton's sister, Elaine Smitty, her husband, Larry, and their son, Charlie, were all diagnosed with COVID some time ago. Both the husband and the son succumbed to the illness. So please remember Elaine, Marie, and their family in the loss of these family members. Please pray for Darlene Leach's mother, Dora, who is in NHC. And remember Beth Moran's niece, Laura Jackson, who is battling cancer. We also need to pray for some of our extended church family, Loretta Roden, Craig Akins, and Gloria Ward. And as a reminder, if you wish to support uh, Grace Church at Franklin, there is an offering box in the foyer that you can leave your gifts in. And I'd ask if there are any more announcements, but I couldn't hear the answer anyway, so I'm not going to. 
Well, good morning again to everybody. If anybody's just now joining us over the internet on, I think we've got YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio, and there's video on there as well. We want to say a welcome to you this morning, and uh, we're thankful that you've joined us to worship. Miss Sue, I didn't write my list down. What's our next song? Let's see here. Uh, 186, The Church's One Foundation. You can use the hymnal if you like, but it should be up on the board. 186. church is one foundation is jesus christ her lord she is his new creation by spirit and the word from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride with his own blood he bought her and from her life he how many of you remember this song and know it? Okay, good. I just wanted to make, make sure. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision church at rest yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one oh happy ones and holy Lord give us grace that we like them the Let's do, um, guys upstairs, we're going to skip that next one. We're going to do yesterday, today, forever. 283. <laughs> All may change, but Jesus never. How sweet the glorious message, simple faith may claim. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Still he loves to save the sinful, heal the sick and lame. Cheer the mourner, calm the tempest, glory to his name. Y'all help me out. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory 
you go and I think we've got some more music to sing with Brother Bill and Miss Lynn. You know I'm glad to see all of you who are here today. A lot of people of course are afraid to get out because of the coronavirus and uh, we do need to be careful. Uh, practice all of the things that we know we should do. Wash your hands. I, by nature, I probably wash my hands three or four or five times a day. Anyway, to wash your hands, uh, maybe stay out of the face of people. Uh, if you're supposed to wear a mask when you go into certain places and you don't have a problem with it, that's what I would do. But we're glad for those of you who are here. And I'm glad that the Bible says, what, where two or three thousand are gathered together, there am I, where two or three 
are gathered together, that there am I among them. So we're glad you're here. Pray that the Lord will render a blessing to you uh, through what is done today. Let me add one more prayer request that was given to me a moment ago. Brother Cothran, who worships with us, Steve Cothran, his brother Mike, who has Parkinson's disease, has broken his hip, and he is in Williamson County Medical Center, Williamson County Hospital. So please add that, add him to your prayer list. Mike Cothran. Okay, please remember to pray for him. In spite of all of the things that we've been through as a congregation and as individuals, the Lord has been merciful to us. We can all say, thanks be to God, he's been merciful to us. So stand up together with us and let's sing, oh how merciful. Okay. When I was lost in sin and shame, Speak for me, 
merciful and mighty name of Jesus, the name above all names. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How thankful we are that regardless of the circumstances, whether it's coronavirus or whether it's some other pestilence or whether it's some other circumstance or situation, our God reigns and our God rules in the heavens above. And we are assured that all things will work out for our good and for thy glory. We are thankful that your healing power has been evident in many in this congregation that there are many who have been sick that you've raised up, many who have been very seriously ill and you've raised them up, many who have had serious surgeries and you've healed them. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, and we are so thankful for that. You heal both our bodies and our spirits. We ask today that you will teach us from your word that we might learn more of your will as it is revealed therein. We ask these blessings upon our United States. We ask, Father, that you will turn the hearts of the children and the fathers and the mothers and the grandmothers, the, the hearts of all its citizens, back to thee. The reason this nation has been great and is because of the God of this nation, not because of the size of our armed forces or the advancement of our educational systems. Lord, we pray that you'll turn us back to thee. Grant a, a repenting spirit and a believing spirit that we might once again call upon the name of the Lord who saves all who come unto him. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Well, I hesitate to ask you to keep standing, but could you stand for another minute or two? We're going to sing when we all get to heaven. I think that's page 498. It's going to be up on the board for you. Sing that with us. Oh. 
standing while Lynn's talking to you. I was okay. just, you can sit down. <laughs> no, I was just talking to Shirley. I said, you think, you think Drexel's up there singing? She said, I know he is. And if he could take his guitar, he'd have taken it with him. <laughs> but she gave it to us. And that's sweet. Um, and I thought about Royce and Robbie and everybody that's gone before us. I mean, by faith, we hold on to the fact that we're going to see them again. Don't y'all believe that? you got to believe that. How can you endure here if you don't? That we're going to see them face to face just like we see Christ. I'm excited about that. I, I don't really want to go. I li I'm like Erwin Lutzer said the other day. I like this world. You know, I like living here. Don't lie about it. You do too. Amen. But at that time, he'll give you a ticket to get on that train. You don't need it right now. You need living grace. You don't need dying grace. Am I right? Amen. 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 All right, we're going to ask the Lord to help us. We'll ask him to help me move this microphone. He did that. Now let's ask him to help us as we look into his word. Father, I stretch my Genesis chapter 37, we're going to read 
two or three verses from Genesis 37. I think we're getting a little feedback in here, brethren, for those in audio video. At least it sounds that way up here to me. You know, I was uh, reading this week in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and I read that they stood for three hours. They stood for three hours while the Word of God was read. Wasn't any preaching, just reading, and that was in the Old Testament. And it says that they lifted up their hands as they praised the Lord. They lifted up their hands. The idea of lifting your hands, you can lift them or not lift them, according to how some of us are inhibited. Uh, lifting them is like this. This is the way they lifted them to receive. You're receiving blessings from the Lord, and you're also praising Him. Some want to praise Him that way. And that's fine. But lifting up your hands. And said so they did that. I'm sure they didn't hold their hands up for three hours, but it said they stood for three hours. And while they heard the word of God, they lifted up their hands and they gave him the praise and the honor and the glory. Glad to see all of you today, those of you who are here. And again, we want to welcome those who are watching by the internet. This is a series of studies on the story of Joseph, and this is study number 11. And today is a good and bad side of this story, the depravity of men and the grace of God. Now, Genesis chapter 37, it says in verse 4, we have a little phrase at the end of that verse, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Speaking of the brothers of Joseph and their attitude toward Joseph, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably unto him. Verse 5, the end of the verse, and it says, They hated him yet the more. After he told them a dream he had, they hated him yet the more. Verse 8, the end of verse 8, And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then verse 11, verse 11, And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord, and you may be seated. There are two truths, two revelations, which amaze me when I read the word of God. And they are the amazing depravity of human beings, and the amazing grace of God. When I read a story like the story of Joseph, these two truths seem to rise up and to meet me. The depravity of man, the amazing depravity of man, and the amazing sovereign grace of God. The word depravity comes from the Latin, pravitas, and it means crooked, or bent, or perverse. It could be expressed in the words of Solomon, as he says in Ecclesiastes 7.29, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes, many devices, many inventions. Depravity is the sinner expressing his or her sinful nature. And sad to say, but depravity plagues every human being. It is universal. 
As David said, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Jacob might be the grandson of Abraham, and Jacob and his family might be chosen, but there's depravity in his family. And depravity is amazing because it's the lowest expression of the highest order of God's creative work, man. Man whose soul was made in the image of God is capable of sinking below the level of brute beast. The Bible says the ox knows its honor and the ass knows its master's crib, but men do not know their creator. They do not know their owner. They do not know their master. They do not know their savior. What I want us to do today, God willing, is to look at this story once again in the light of these two facts, the amazing depravity of man and the amazing grace of God. And I want you to hang on, and I hope you have your Bibles open because we're going to refer a lot to the Scripture. After all, this is we're here to worship God, and the Scripture is our textbook. Now, the Bible tells us here in verses, Genesis 37, verses 4, verse 5, verse 8, and verse 11, that Joseph was hated and he was envied by his brothers. All they lacked was an opportunity to show their hatred, and that opportunity was afforded them by their father. That's verses 12 through 14. Their father Jacob said, Hey, your brothers have gone over to Shechem to feed the flocks. I want you to go over. He said to Joseph, I want you to go over and to check on them and make sure they're okay. So when Joseph got to Shechem, he found that they weren't there. And the scripture says, A certain man, a certain man. And I told you last week, the certain man who told Joseph where to find his brothers is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He is the only one that knows where sinners have gone and where they're hiding and how to find them. Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ or a type of the believer or a type of the, the child of God. And so the, this certain man told Joseph, hey, your brothers have moved from Shechem and they are gone to Dothan, verses 15 through 17. Then in verses 18 through 20, when Joseph found them in Dothan, the Bible says that when they saw him coming, they conspired against him. Verse 18, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Reuben planned to rescue him. That's verses 21 and 22. Judah, verses 26, 27, and 28, Judah suggested they make some money off of him. If they're going to get rid of him, why not make it a profitable uh, thing? And so they sold him to some Ishmaelites, verse 28. And then they went home, verses 31 and 32, 35, and they lied to their father. They took Joseph's coat and they put animal blood on it and they said to his, their father Jacob, hey, is this your son Joseph's coat? Notice they didn't say, it's our brother. Is this our brother's coat? It says, no, is this your son's coat? It says, verse 31, they took Joseph's coat, they killed a kid of the goats, 
they dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and they said, this we have found. Do you know whether or not this is your son's coat or not? What in the world, what do you call that? I'll tell you what you call that. You call that depravity. <laughs> That's what you call that. You call that depravity. They not only didn't care about their brother, as I showed you last week uh, from Genesis chapter 41, while they put their brother in the pit, he was crying for help, and they paid him no attention. They sat down and had lunch. And then they sold him, and they went home and lied to their father and broke their father's heart. Verses 31 through 35 says that when they told old Jacob about that, he wouldn't be comforted. He couldn't be comforted. He wouldn't receive any consolation or any help. He said, I'll go down to my grave mourning for my son. Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts that we have in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. He said this in Acts chapter 7, in verse 9, he says, The patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. Now, what is that? That's the depravity of man. They stole their brother. They hated their brother. But then he adds this, But God was with him. What is that? That's the grace of God. They sold their brother. Amazing depravity. You just sell your own brother, lie to your father, break your father's heart. But God was with him, the amazing grace of God. Now let's look at this depravity through these brothers of Joseph. First of all, I want you to note that their depravity was progressive. You see, when, the, when theologians say we are totally depraved, they don't mean we are as bad as we could be. <laughs> what they mean by the word total is that every aspect of human beings has been infected and affected by sin. The mind has been affected. The affections have been affected so that we love the wrong things. The heart has been affected so we are going after uh, sympathetic, sympathetic toward the wrong things. All of, of us has been affected. Total depravity doesn't mean men are as bad as they could be. No, they can be worse. And as I'm going to show you, we certainly will become worse if it is not for the grace of God. So what it says here is that their, their depravity expressed itself in a progressive manner. We're told in verse 4 that they hated him, and really the idea there is animosity. Then, it, then they had a fixed hatred, uh, it says in verse 4. They couldn't speak to him without anger. And then that went into envy. That's a verse 11. That means that they not only hated him, but they hated what he had, and they wished that they could take it away from him. And then that went into a spirit of murder, verses 18, 20, and 26. You see, total depravity, if it's not checked, will produce a totally reprobate mind. Now, I'm not going to take the time to have you turn over there, but when you have time, you read Romans chapter 1, and you'll see that there the reprobate mind is full of unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, deceit, de debate, 
malignity, it manifests itself in hatred toward God, in pride, in inventors of evil things, in lack of mercy, and in hard-heartedness. The possessor of the reprobate mind is a person who has fallen to the lowest depths and who knows better, but he, he or she doesn't care. In fact, according to Romans 1, the person with the reprobate mind not only doesn't care, but they seek others who are like-minded. The final stroke of a reprobate mind is the removal of all fear of God and His judgments. The most dangerous animal on planet Earth is a person that doesn't fear God. Believe me, that's the most dangerous animal on planet Earth. Their depravity made liars out of them. Verse 20, they went home and they lied to their father about their brother Joseph. They probably lied to those Ishmaelites to whom they sold their brother because they probably told them, this is our slave and we're, we're willing to save him to you, sell him to you. And then they went home and they lied to their father. This depravity made murderers of them. You say, but Brother Sasser, wait a minute now. They didn't actually kill their brother. Well, I'll tell you what you do. When you have time, you go and read Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if you have an intent to murder, you are a murderer. You are a murderer. They were murderers because their intent was to murder their brother, even though they didn't carry it out. You see, to the all-seeing God, murder in the heart and murder in the mind is murder. We read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hate is equal to murder. We got a lot of hate in the United States today. Hate in the name of God, hating people who stand up for what is right, so that we've gotten so backwards now that the normal has become the abnormal, and the abnormal is now the normal. What is sweet is now bitter. What is bitter is now sweet. What is good is called evil. What is evil is now called good. Hate is equal to murder because it will end in murder if it's not repressed. On the other side of the coin, loving the brethren is evidence of eternal life. 1 John 3.15. There it is on the board for you. 1 John 3.14. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother. People are not interested in worship. They're not interested in being with Christians. They're not interested in coming together with those of like faith. They're not interested in praising the Lord. Those people don't know a thing in the world about eternal life. That's what he says. He said, they abide in a state of death. They don't have any trouble doing anything they want to do, but they're not interested in doing things that the brothers and the sisters of Christ want to do. What prevented these men from murdering Joseph? Was it their guilt? Oh no, they didn't feel any guilt at all. Was it their conscience? Was their conscience bothering them? No, not at all. The realization of what their consequences would be, is that what bothered them? No. You know what? You know why they didn't murder him? Look at verse 27. Verse 27. 
Judah said, let's, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not his, our hand be upon him. He's our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. You know what motivated them? It was the thought of gain. If we're going to get rid of him, why not make it a profitable deal? Let's, uh, let's make some money off of it. Let's make something off of it. And they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Our Lord Jesus Christ sold for 30 pieces of silver. It was the thought of gain that kept them from murdering him. And so from this story, we learn that there are differing degrees of the expression of depravity. Simeon and Levi, who had already caused problems, and some of the other brothers, they wanted to kill Joseph. Judah, Judah wanted to profit from him. Reuben wanted to spare him, but he lacked the courage to say so openly before his brothers. Let me say a word to all of you, but especially to you young people. You must not be ashamed if you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must not be ashamed to avow yourself a Christian before your friends. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, Whosoever therefore will be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so we see how the depravity of the human heart and the depravity of the mind is revealed in the brothers of Joseph. And my dear friends, listen to me now, the only cure for depravity is sovereign grace. Depravity can't be stopped, it can't be eradicated by education. It can't be stopped or eradicated by reformation. It can't be stopped or eradicated by civilization, by being civilized. We're just civilized heathen, civilized pagans in the United States. The only thing that will deal with depravity is the sovereign grace of God. The Bible tells us that as the time of the earth moves on, that men will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. Chapter 2 and verse 13. The men, that men will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The only people, the only person who won't come under that prophecy will be those who have been prevented from growing worse by grace, who have been called by grace, who've been saved by grace, and who are being kept by grace. They will be the exceptions and them only. And that's because for them, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. How can we escape envy? Trust in the Lord, and you'll be delivered from envy. You see, when He has all you need, you don't need anything others have. How can you be delivered from jealousy? Trust in the Lord and you will be delivered from je jealousy. You will be enabled by the Lord's grace to be content with what you have and with what you are. Commit your way unto the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Immerse yourself in the Word of God, and you'll be delivered not only from the many hurtful lusts of the flesh, but from the coming judgment of God. 
Now let me share a great biblical secret with you. It's known in the scripture, but it seems that many people just don't know about it. And that is this. And I'm going to open this up a little bit more as we go along. The sovereign grace of God is such that those who resist it will nevertheless be used by it to accomplish the purposes of God and then cursed for their troubles. And those who submit to Christ, those who bow to Christ, they will be employed by the Lord to accomplish His will on earth, and they will be blessed in all that they do. As it is said of the, of the, the blessed man, which is Christ above all, but also His people who are attached to Him by faith, by the grace of God through faith, Psalm 1 says of the blessed man, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He will make a way out of no way. Our God specializes in the impossible. <laughs> now I want you to pay attention to this next passage of Scripture. It's Psalm 76, verse 10. You should really learn it and memorize it. There it is on the board. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. Let's leave that up there for a few minutes. And the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. The entire Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 supports this great truth. Where the wrath of man against God and against his people can be used to further the sovereign purpose of God, it will be used. And where the wrath of man will not serve the purpose of God, it'll be restrained, it'll be prevented, or it'll be made harmless. Example, Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden. Now, you may not have thought of this, but it's my job to bring up some things that you don't think of. Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden was no surprise to the all-knowing Creator. In his fall away from God, Adam was used to give the greatest glory to God in the doing and the dying of God's Son, our Messiah, Jesus the Christ. The sin of the one man, Adam, made absolutely necessary the incarnation, the coming into the flesh of the second Adam, through which a multitude, which no man can number, would be saved. The wrath and the subtlety of the devil, who's the one that caused the fall of man, leading the first woman and leading the first man into sin, the wrath and subtlety of the devil has brought praise and glory to the great God of creation. Let me give you another example, Judas. Judas and the Jews who hated Jesus were, in spite of themselves, used to fulfill God's will. Now, we've looked at this passage many, many times before, but I want you to look at it once again. Listen to Peter and John and the other disciples as they praise God after they've been threatened by the high priest for telling folks about Jesus. It's found in Acts chapter 4. I'll tell you where it is, and you can check it out later. Verses 26, 27, 28. Acts, Acts chapter 4. The kings of the earth stood up 
The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. It is true that against your holy child Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. And look at this last phrase. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now you can't argue with that. What that says is they did what they wanted to do, and what it also says is they fulfilled the will of God. They stood up and they were in rebellion against the revealed will of God, as I'm going to tell you in just a moment, and they fulfilled the secret will of God. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Romans, the Jews, Judas, and the devil who inspired Judas were all used in their hatred and in their wrath to carry out the purpose of God, and then they were punished for their deeds. And these brothers of Joseph here, who hated him, who did all they could to destroy him, were actually used to push him toward the pinnacle of power in the great nation of Egypt, where he was only second in rank and glory from the Pharaoh. They were going to murder him. They were going to leave him in a pit to die. But all they did was made to serve the purpose of God. They were mysteriously restrained by the invisible hand of God so that the will of God as revealed in the dreams of Joseph might come to pass. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Have you ever what if yourself to death? What if this and what if that? His brothers hated him, and they hated him for no good reason, just like the brothers of Jesus hated him, and he said they hated him without a cause. What if they had not been envious of him? What if they had not plotted against him? When Joseph was sent after his brothers, what if his father hadn't sent him? Oh, your brothers are doing fine. I got some work for you to do. What if he hadn't sent him after him? What if Joseph had not been directed by a certain man in Shechem to go to Dothan? What if he had gone back home instead of going to Dothan? What if the brothers of Joseph had not gone to Dothan? What would have happened if they hadn't been where they were, which was a major road going into Israel where the Ishmaelites passed by that they sold Joseph unto? I'm sure that if they hadn't sold him, they would have murdered him. Wouldn't have any choice. What if Reuben had been successful in rescuing Joseph? What if Judah had not given them an alternative plan to make money and still get rid of Joseph? Now consider your own life. What if your parents had never met? What if you had never been born? What if you had never heard the gospel? Think of all the mess in your life and then think about what would have happened if a lot of that had been carried out. The providence of God, the providence of God, the way the Lord deals with things in time, space, and history is absolutely indescribable. It is unfathomable. The great apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depths both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable. Now, unsearchable means you can't be searched out, so there's no sense in you staying up at night worrying about it. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And what that verse says, among other things, it is, is impossible to explain the judgments of God and to understand his ways. <clears throat> because no matter what men do or don't do, the plans of the Lord of all the earth will come to pass. Whatever the will of the Lord is shall be done. By whatever persons or things or circumstances he is pleased to use, it shall be brought to pass. Isaiah said he can call a ravenous bird from the east. He can call a man from a far country to execute his counsel. Isaiah says he has declared the end from the beginning. He says from ancient times he has declared what has not yet been done. Isaiah said he is God and there's not any else. He says he's God and there's no one like him. He says he's the only God. And he says what he has spoken he will bring to pass and what he has said he will do and what he has prophesied will surely be done. Peter, Peter, before the cock crows you'll deny me three times. Peter protested and denied that he could ever do such a thing yet he in fact did exactly what Jesus said he would do. King Ben-Hadad, when you have a son, some of you name him Ben-Hadad, he get plenty of attention. King Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria, and he was very sick, and he sent one of his officials, Hazael, to the prophet Elisha with one question. King Ben-Hadad had one question from the prophet Elisha, shall I recover of this disease? And the answer that Elisha gave to Hazel was this. This is amazing. The Lord has shown me that he certainly could recover, but that he will in fact die. And when Elisha said that, the Bible says that Elisha was staring. You know what a deadpan look is? It says Elisha was staring at Hazel, and Elisha began to cry. And Hazel said, why are you crying, Elisha? And Elisha said, because I know the horrible things you will do to the children of Israel. You will set their strongholds on fire. You will slay their young men with the sword. You will batter their children to death. You will rip open the young women expecting children. You know what Hazel said? What is your servant, a dog, that he should do such a thing? Then the prophet said, the Lord has shown me that you will become the king of Syria. And when Hazel got back to King Ben-Hadad, king, the king said, what did the prophet say? And Hazel said, he said you would surely recover. Now remember, the prophet said, he has shown me that King Ben-Hadad could certainly recover, but he won't. The next day, Hazael, who was the servant of King Ben-Hadad, he took a thick cloth, 
dipped it in water, and spread it over the face of the king so that he died. And the word of the Lord came to pass. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is the proto-evangelium, the first promise of the Messiah in the Bible, the seed of the woman. After Adam and Eve fell away from the Lord, a Messiah was promised way back in the Garden of Eden. And that promise was unfulfilled for 4,000 years. But eventually, the word of the Lord came to pass. The fact that the promise God made came to pass exactly and precisely as he made it has been shown by many scholars to have been basically, virtually, an impossibility, a miracle of the greatest magnitude. Some Bible scholars suggest that there are more than 300 prophetic scriptures that were fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth, 300 prophecies which prove that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Now, in the book that's entitled Science Speaks, the statistical improbability of one man, <laughs> whether accidentally or deliberately, fulfilling just eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled is shown to be an impossibility, but Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. I'm going to mention a few of them to you right now. And keep in mind now, these are prophecies that were in, made in the Old Testament before the New Testament was ever in existence. Keep that in mind. According to the Old Testament prophets, the Messiah must be born of a virgin. The Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah must be declared to be not just the Messiah, but the Son of God. The Messiah must come from the line of Abraham. He must be a descendant of Isaac. He must be a descendant of Jacob. He must be kin to David. He must be from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah must spend a season in Egypt. He must be, there must be a massacre of children at Messiah's birth place. Messiah must be preceded by a forerunner, rejected by his own people. The Messiah must be a prophet. He must be declared a Nazarene. He must speak in parables. He must be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He must be called a king but denied his throne. He must enter Jerusalem on a donkey, be praised by little children, be betrayed by a disciple, be falsely accused, and hated without a cause. The Messiah must die at a certain time on a certain day by a certain method of death, crucifixion, which when it was predicted wasn't even in existence. It was invented later. Messiah must be betrayed by a certain person in the inner circle of his friends. <clears throat> he must be betrayed in a certain way, betrayed for a certain amount of money, and the money must be used to purchase a certain kind of place for certain kind of persons. The Messiah must die with criminals, and in his death he must be given vinegar, he must be mocked, he must be ridiculed, so soldiers must gamble for his garment. Not one bone of his body can be broken. And though he will die with criminals, he must be buried with the rich. And his death must be at a certain time of the year and correspond with certain religious rites and ceremonies. This is why John says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10. Can you tell me how all these things and more could have happened? All we can say is this, 
Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I got a little news for you. When you, when you pray that prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. Listen, there's no possibility that the will of God won't be done on earth as it's done in heaven. What that prayer is about is us being reconciled to his will. His will is going to be done, but how do you like it? His brothers, Joseph's brothers, didn't like it at all when God told them through a dream, Joseph is going to be your Lord and your master. They didn't like that at all. And they did everything they could to overthrow the prophecy of that dream. His will is going to be done in earth as it is done in heaven. Daniel solved that for us. He said, in heaven, the will of God among the army of the inhabitants of the heavens. He says, nobody can stay his will or say unto him, what doest thou? Now, consider this. Joseph had a dream. How many dreams did he have? He had two dreams. What was that? The meaning of that from Daniel and from Joseph. I tell you what, let's turn over and see if I can get this passage right. Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And this is later when Joseph is standing before the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh has had a dream. And nobody can interpret the dream. And so he calls in. It's a long story, and I'll explain it to you when we get there. But he ends up calling in this fellow that's a prisoner named Joseph. And Joseph comes before the Pharaoh, and he interprets the Pharaoh's dreams. And how many dreams did the Pharaoh have? He had two, just like Joseph had two. So what does that mean? Well, Joseph tells us what it means. Genesis chapter 41 And in verse 32, Joseph says to the Pharaoh, And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So when God gives the same dream, he gives gives two different dreams that teach the same thing. He doubles it. It's a certainty that it's going to be done. Joseph was given two dreams. It's going to be done. The Pharaoh was given two dreams about the future of uh, Egypt, and it's going to be done. And both Daniel and Joseph says that when God does it that way, it is a sign that it's going to be done, and it's going to be done shortly. So what Joseph has dreamed is absolutely certain. May I ask you a question? His brothers hated him for his dreams. (laughs) The question is, would you hate someone for a dream they had? Of course not. But see, by this dream, the brothers of Joseph were shown something of their own heart toward the God who gave the dream and toward Joseph. They were shown something about the purpose of God. Joseph was God's sovereign choice to play a key role in the future of their lives and the future of their family, and they didn't like it. Why didn't they like it? Because they were not submissive, listen now, to the revealed will of God. Let's look at this passage on the board, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. 
God's will is divided in two categories, secret, revealed. The secret things belong to the Lord. Again, I say what I've said earlier, don't stay up at night praying about God to show you something that's secret. <laughs> People want to know, did Adam have a navel? Where do you, where do you get your navel from? Get it from your mother. But he didn't have a mother. Well, I wouldn't stay up worrying about it if I were you. A lot of times, some of these pastors and preachers and well-meaning servants of the Lord stand up and they say what they think in great detail God's going to do. I don't agree with that approach. I agree that Jesus Christ is coming back. I agree that He's coming back visibly. I agree that He's going to come back to judge the earth. <clears throat> I agree that He's going to come back to get His people. All of those things are certainly taught, but just when, where, how, and what's going to happen, all the details, I don't know. And I'm going to leave it right there. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But what about this? Those things which are revealed belong to us. Now, He reveals things to us in history. He reveals things to us in time and space, and reveals things to us in His Word. That belongs to us. What is the purpose of this revelatory will of God? It says that we may do all the words of the law. That is that we may walk as by the grace of God as much as is in us we may walk according to what pleases the Lord as He has revealed in His Word. Jesus said you are my servants, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. It's not just hearing the Word of God. It's doing the Word of God. And I listened to 15,000 sermons. Well, that doesn't mean a hill of beans. If my brother was a pope, I'm afraid that won't have any... It won't help you. It won't help you a bit. What are we doing? We've got the secret things. They belong to the Lord our God. But we can know... And we can, by the grace of God, through faith, submit ourselves to what He's revealed. Now, I can't confess and obey what I don't know, but I can confess and obey what is revealed. So, what can I do with regard to the secret will of God? This is what I can do. I can walk by faith, and by the grace of God, I can walk in obedience to the revealed will of God. And while I'm walking, I can confess my sins and plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as my substitutionary sin offering. I can call upon the Lord for His strength. The brothers of Joseph clearly understood the import of Joseph's dreams, but they didn't like it. So they began to scheme how they could get rid of Joseph. And here's the great lesson, and here's the great warning. The more they resisted God's will that was revealed in Joseph's dreams, the more they resisted that, the more they fulfilled it. You know that in this nation today, when men are resisting what God has said in His Word about marriage being between a man and a woman, about abortion, about all these things, what he has said in his word. They're resisting that. You know what they're doing? They're fulfilling the will of God. The scripture says, as it was in the days of Noah. 
So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And the more they resist, the more they fulfill the will of God. You must ask the Lord to help you bow to His revealed will. And when you do that, you'll find yourself being in sync with His secret will. You see, the brothers of Joseph were so envious of Joseph that they couldn't begin to understand that his dream was about God's will for their family, for themselves, and for their future. But they were so eaten up with envy and jealousy and hatred for Joseph that they began to resist what God showed him he was going to do. And in resisting, they fulfilled God's prophecy, and it came to pass anyway. And they became key players in spite of themselves. <laughs> Unbelievable. No wonder Paul said in Romans, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom of God and the judgment of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Let me close. Who gave Joseph the dreams? The Lord did. Those dreams conveyed what the Lord's will was going to be. To foretell the future. That was the purpose of the dreams. How will the prophecy of Joseph's dream be brought to pass? How will it be brought to pass? It will be brought to pass through the envy and the treachery of his brothers. So here are five lessons, quickly, I'm just going to read them, that you should remember. Number one, the will of men cannot overthrow the will of God. Number two, the will of the demons and the devil. We're giving a lot of credit to the devil today. Flip Wilson started it off years ago, the devil made me do it. Most of us don't need the devil to make us do it. We've got enough depravity in ourselves to do it on our own. But whatever the devil is doing, <laughs> he cannot overthrow. It was the devil. The Bible says when Jesus and his disciples were sitting at what we call the Last Supper, he said, one of you shall betray me. And they all began to ask, is it I? And then the Bible says, and the devil entered into Judas and it says he left, and Jesus said to, Jesus, to Judas as he was leaving, What thou doest, do quickly. And the rest of the disciples didn't know what was going on. And John, John had asked him, Lord, who is it? Who's going to betray you? And the Lord said, He that dips his hand in the dish with me. And right after he said that, you take bread, and I don't know if some of you in the South, my, my dad liked what they call pot liquor. Pot liquor is the juice that comes from greens, spinach and greens and cabbage and all that. And it, it's a, uh, my mother would make cornbread or hoe cake bread, we call it. And my dad would dip that bread in that pot liquor and eat it. That was a whole meal for him. So Jesus said, when I take my bread and I dip it, he said, the other hand that comes in there with me will be the hand of the man that's going to betray me. And immediately Judas came up then. And Jesus said, what thou doest, do quickly. Do quickly. 
Will of man cannot overthrow the will of God. The will of demons and the devil cannot void the will of God. Number three, those who resist the revealed will of God will be used to fulfill the secret will of God and then cursed for doing so. Number four, those who bow to the revealed will of God will be employed of the Lord to accomplish His secret will, and they will be blessed in the accomplishing of it. And number five, only the amazing grace of God can deal with and conquer and turn back the amazing depravity of man. May the Lord add His blessings on His Word. Let's stand together. My dear friends, as we sing here at the end of the service, there's only one secure hiding place, and that's in Christ. Don't hide in your good works. Don't hide in your church membership. Don't hide in your fact that you're a religious person. Religious people are the meanest people in the world. Religious people crucified Christ. I'm not a religious person. What I am is I am a child of God bought with by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be a spiritual person, but I'm not a religious person. You talk to people and say, you know, he's religious about taking care of that automobile. He religiously takes care of that automobile. Religion will, will damn you. Joseph's brothers were religion, religious. They went through all the rituals and the ceremonies, but they didn't know the Lord. Come to Christ. Believe on Christ. Confess Christ. Identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, because I'm telling you, His will. I don't know whether we're at 1030, 1130, 1145 on the scale of God's prophetic ministry, but I'll tell you this, it's getting bad, getting worse. And the prophecy found in Timothy, wicked men shall do worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I know that, and I know that I've, I've learned that people who resist God's will, they resist the revealed will of God, the Bible, don't want to hear it, doing everything they can now to stamp the Scriptures out, they've already gotten it out of school. Had a friend that was called to pray before the Congress, and they said, there's just one stipulation, you cannot pray in the name of Jesus. That's what they told him. Well, if I were going to pray, I'd say, okay, and when I got up there, I'd start praying in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what I'd do. You go to Yale, Harvard, Princeton. I have a friend who gra graduated from Princeton. And he said that after I'd gotten all my dissertation done and I realized that I had my doctorate, he said, I walked through the halls of Princeton and I could hear all these professors up there maligning the Lord Jesus Christ and trying to deny His Word. And he said, I stopped in the hall and I said, Shut up! Shut up! He got a doctorate from Princeton. All of those universities, go up there. When you walk in the building, it'll have over those doors, founded for the glory of God. And now they are bastions of the denial of God and His Son and His Word. I'm telling you, it's getting bad, but you know what? I'm going to walk according to 
His revealed will. That's what I'm going to do. And I'll let the secret will, let the Lord take care of that. Hide in Christ. That's my final word to you this morning. Let's sing. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the you've promised that the word you send out will not return void, that, but that it will accomplish that whereunto thou hast sent it. Our hope is in your will and in your sovereign grace. We cling this morning by faith to our Lord Jesus Christ as our Messiah, our Savior, our Rescuer, the one who blesses us, the one through whom, for whom, and to whom all glory belongs. I pray now that you'll bless this message and cause it to go out to the highway, highways and the hedges and the hills. Call your people unto faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the grace of God be upon all of you, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, to whom glory belongs forever and ever, even through our Lord Jesus Christ do we pray, and for his sake, amen. You're dismissed.